Okay, well, before Christmas, we, uh, left, uh, in our, we left off in our series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we, we kind of parked up in Luke chapter 15, and we'd seen the parables of the lost sheep, the lost son, and the lost coin. A parable is just a, another word for a story that has a significant meaning. And those are very famous parables of Jesus. They're glorious in the truths that they pronounce to us. They speak of God's great mercy for lost people, and they're really, really very much the... The, uh, the, the most popular and well-known parables of Jesus. If those are the A-side parables, well, today we're going to be in a couple of parables that you might describe as B-sides. They're not as well-known, they're not as popular, and they're actually quite confusing on first reading. We're going to be looking at the parable of the dishonest manager at the uh, outset of this message today, and I doubt very much that that would be a parable that would be covered in the kids' work. I doubt any of you have ever picked up your kids from their group and got in the car and said, hey kids, what did you learn about today? I doubt any of your kids have ever said, we learned about the dishonest manager today and how you can, uh, through dishonest gain, make yourself wealthy and uh, more popular with people. I doubt that's ever happened. It's a very much a confusing parable upon first reading, but we're not going to skim over it. As much as sometimes the Bible may, might make us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes the Bible might make us uh, feel like, I'm not quite sure about that, Lord, I'm not quite sure what that teaches. It seems to go against what I believe. We're not going to kind of skim over it and say, well, we'll just deal with that another time. No, we're going to confront it. We're going to believe God is good. We're going to believe that his, his word, the Bible, is good for us. It's breathed out by him. And that as, we, uh, chew in, and as we chew on it, as we dig into it, we're going to actually, God's going to do some good stuff in our hearts. So we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to unpack things together. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? I don't know if you've ever had that happen with your manager. Has your manager ever called you into their office and said, What is this I've been hearing? This is pretty serious. And he said, Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it. 450. Then he asked the second, and, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He said, well, take your bill and make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into what this might be saying to us today. Father, would you help us as we tuck into your word together? Would you do a heart work in us today? Would you deal with some things where we've got wrong thinking? Would you deal with some things and, and, and bring truth to bear in our lives? We want to be fruitful people. We want to bring glory to you. So would you come and change us where we need to be changed? In Jesus' name, amen. So the story goes like this. There's a rich guy, and rich guys often have accounts managers. They have people that will invest their money for them, will put it in the right accounts, in the right shares, to make sure they get a good return on their money. 
And all of a sudden, this rich man hears that his money, his money manager isn't doing a good job. In fact, he's doing a bad job. We're not really given any indication that he's been cheating or stealing, but he's just not doing a good job. So he calls him in, and the accounts manager realizes that he's going to be in trouble. He realizes that he's going to lose his job. And it dawns on him, if I get fired, this boss of mine isn't going to give me a good reference. So I'm not going to get a similar job elsewhere. And I haven't really got any other skills, so I can't retrain. And I'm, I'm pretty weedy, so I can't do any manual labor. And so he comes up with a pretty clever idea. It's wicked, but it's clever. He's on his way to being sacked, but he knows that for a little time still, he still has some kind of sway over his manager's accounts, over his boss's accounts. And so he calls up those that are debtors to his boss, and he starts to give them discount on some of their debts. He says, look, whatever you owe him, you can just, we'll, we'll just square it so that it's only about half of what you owe him. Now, we don't exactly know how much this would have amounted to, but one commentator suggests that the kind of debts that the accounts manager uh, kind of clears for these debtors is equivalent to about a year's wages. So let's say £25,000. He's just wiped off the debt. And so this accounts manager gets the idea, well, if I do this, and these guys might welcome me into their home. These guys might actually make space for me and give me a job if I kind of do favours for them in this. And the boss finds out about this, and instead of angry in this parable, he's actually impressed with how shrewd this guy is. And he thinks to himself, he's never really shown much ambition or creativity, but this wicked idea, this was actually a pretty good idea for him. What on earth is going on here? Why does this guy seemingly get congratulated by his boss for his act of dishonesty? What is Jesus trying to teach? How can we get the good stuff out of this one? Well, I believe that Jesus is looking to make some positive points from a negative example. Because what follows is some teachings about money which seem to be related to the parable of the dishonest manager. And in these teachings, Jesus he applies the parable both as a comparison and as a contrast. There seems to be four teachings that Jesus brings on money and possessions in this passage. I'm going to take us through them one by one, and then we're going to finish us by asking us some questions as we seek to apply these things in our lives. Now, the first teaching is immediately after the parable in which Jesus teaches that Christians are to look different when it comes to money. He uses some phrases in verse 9 that show that Christians are to be in a completely different category when it comes to money and living for a completely different world. He talks about sons of light and sons of this world. And in your translation, it may say children of light or children of this world. It may say people of light, people of this world. He's making a clear distinction here. Children of light are by very definition supposed to be uh, bright, shining bright in the darkness. That's what they're supposed to be. And when we think about money and possessions, there is a lot of darkness in the world. On the afternoon that I was preparing this message, I happened to click on the BBC website and there were two articles right next to each other about how people are being exploited. One was about pay, uh, buy now, pay later, which is becoming increasingly common. I sometimes go and buy something online. It might be £25 and there's an option to buy now and pay later, but of course there's interest. And thousands of people are getting swept up into this, thinking, hey, I can have this now. I don't even need to be able to afford it. But what happens is they get sucked into the interest payments. They can't pay them back. The payments get bigger. And some already very rich people become richer. And right next to this article was an article about how more regulations are being brought in to make um, online gambling experiences less compelling and less addictive. 
because people are getting sucked in. If I just put a little bit of money down on this game or on this sport, I might be able to make a bigger return on my money. But there's a reason why there's gambling adverts everywhere because the, the people that own these things are making a lot of money. People are getting sucked into a culture of debt. But we don't even need to look at those things to know that money and the love of it really is the root of all kinds of evil that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I know people, I've known a family all my life, or most of my life, who uh, are always taking extra shifts in order to get more and more money, and they will go on lavish holidays every year and buy the latest phone as soon as it comes out and the latest car as soon as it uh, is available, and their, their teenage children are neglected as a result because it's, I need to get more and more and more stuff. I'm going to take that extra shift because then we can get more stuff. And there's this kind of devotion to getting the, the best stuff because they feel that's the best thing for their kids. But their kids aren't getting any time with their parents as a result. That's just one example, but we could think of many where the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. To spend all our energy chasing more and more for our own gain, it's so common. It's a very real trap. It's a very real snare that we can get caught up in. But this is not to be so for children of light. We're to be wise with our money because as Jesus teaches in this second principle here, we are stewards of God's stuff. That's what Jesus teaches. We are stewards of God's stuff. He says in verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be very dishonest with much. And just as the manager in this story was a steward of his boss's wealth and resources, so we are stewards of God's resources. That's the principle here. This is a principle clearly taught here and elsewhere in the scriptures by Jesus. The most dangerous misconception for Christians when it comes to money is the idea that that money and possessions are ours and not actually God's. Many of our problems begin when we forget that God is the boss of the universe and he's also the owner of everything. From beginning to end, the Bible repeatedly emphasizes God's ownership of everything. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it, is what we read in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 14. And when we grasp that we're stewards and not owners, that changes our perspective completely. Suddenly we're not thinking, how much money shall I, out of the goodness of my own heart, give back to God? Instead, we're asking, since all of my money is really yours, Lord, what would you like me to do with it? That's a completely different way of looking at it. And Jesus is saying here that all of us, is, all of us are constantly tested when it comes to our stewardship, our money management. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? This principle invalidates all of our if-onlys, doesn't it? If only I was a bit wealthier, then I would give more of my money away. If only I was a millionaire, and then I would give my money away to the poor. Then I'd give to my church or to missions. Listen, if I'm dishonest or selfish with my use of a few pounds... Nothing is going to change if I suddenly become a millionaire. 
It's a bit like that when people get married. If they're unfaithful to or um, disrespectful to their partner before they get married, it's not all going to suddenly change as soon as they get a piece of metal on their finger. It's not all going to suddenly change. Well, when I'm married, then I will start to treat my partner with uh, respect or faithfulness. And it's not any different when it comes to money. Look, we might have only very little, but if we see it as God's and if we treat it as God's, then really we'll have the right heart if he entrusts us with more. But if what, with what we have, we're not treating it as God's money and stewarding it as God's money, then things are not suddenly magically going to change if we get more money. This kind of invalidates all of our, if only, if only I had a little bit more. God is a God of the small things as well as the big. And a good business owner would pay attention to an employee in the small things before entrusting them with the bigger things. Jesus wants us to understand that we're stewards. We're entrusted with the resources we have, but they're not ours, they're his. He wants us to steward it well. Sarah and I, we're facing a financial decision at the moment. It's not a big one, but it's a decision to spend some money on something. And it's kind of just something I've just been chewing over this week. I'm normally a very decisive person, and normally it doesn't take me long to make a decision on some things, but I'm thinking, would it be good stewardship if we were to purchase this thing? It's not a big amount of money, but I'm starting to just consider, well, is this what God would want me to do with the money? That's the kind of thought that a Christian should be having. That's the kind of thought process that a Christian should be having, not second-guessing everything, but thinking through, is this purchase Is this a good stewardship of the money that God has given us? The old mindset was, this is my money. I do what I like with it. I earned it. It's time for some investment in me. The new mindset is, this is God's, and I want to steward it well. You might remember how I I defined repentance a few weeks ago. I, I talked about repentance being a change of heart that leads to a change of mind that leads to a radical new way of seeing everything, a radical new mindset when it comes to everything, a radical new worldview. And the outcome in the decision process might not look different, but the whole process is completely different. Because instead of asking, well... You know, it's my money, How, what do I want to do with it? We're, we're actually considering this is God's. He's entrusted it to me, and I want to honor him with it. So that looks like having a budget. Whether you do that stringent, stringently and account for every single penny or not, it looks like actually knowing what's going in and out of your account. And some of you, you have no idea what's going in and out of your account. And you daren't look in there because you just think, as soon as I open it, I'm opening up a can of worms. And I don't want to see what's going on here. But it looks like knowing what's going in and coming out just like a good accountant would. Not neglecting it through fear of what's in there. It looks like saving aside some money for things that you want to buy rather than kind of getting into further and further debt when you want to get something right now. Not getting sucked into compulsive spending to make you feel better, which is a real danger in lockdown. It's a huge danger because there's nothing else we can do. And we might think, well, I'm just going to get a hold of that. That will make me feel better. It will give me a little buzz. Just keep a check on that in your heart. Are you looking for those things just to kind of give you that little buzz, that little kick and a little bit of a a joy in the day? Well, just think about these things. We're stewards of God's stuff. The third thing that Jesus teaches here is around service and worship, where he says we can only serve one master. In verse 13, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Is this really all that important to God? 
Well, we're left without any doubt here when we read this. In fact, thousands of scriptures talk about money and possessions. So much of Jesus' teaching is about these things. The sheer enormity of the Bible's teaching on these things should scream to us loud and clear. God is trying to get our attention because he sees that there is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions when it comes to possessions and money. Here he uses a word called mammon. The Bible translators have used money here, understandably, because no one really knows what mammon means, but it isn't a word that we use all that often. It's a word that in Greek is kind of, uh, it's, it's speaking of a, a god that people would have worshipped, a god of finance called mammon. And Jesus is implying that if we do not break free and stay free from the power of money, then we're actually serving it as a god. The world we live in You need to understand this. You need to get this. The world we live in is aggressively trying to recruit us to serve the God of mammon. The world we live in is in every angle, from every possible uh, angle, is trying to aggressively recruit us to serve the God of mammon, to serve the, the lower case G God of money and finance. Get rich, get more. A survey was done a few years ago. It covered the US, it covered Europe, it covered other first world nations, and it surveyed people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, people who had lots, people who had little, and each of them were asked, how much do you need to get by? And all of them, whether they were wealthy or whether they were poor, said, we could really do with 10% more than we have. That's quite insightful, isn't it? That even those that were rich were saying, just 10% more and we'll be okay. Paul would say to Timothy, as I've already said, Money is the root of all kinds, rather the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is is not a bad thing, in fact it's a neutral thing. The love of it, the worship of it, the hot pursuit of it, it chokes us, it leads to all kinds of evil, it leads to us not worshipping God, it leads to us not desiring God, in fact it's even stronger than that. Jesus says you'll either love the one and, and hate the other. It leads to us not desiring God, it leads to us hating God when we pursue money with all we have. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to make our lives about God, about serving him, about centering everything on him. That is what is best for us. God is not a killjoy. He really is committed to your joy. Do you know that? Have you grasped that? God is committed to your true and deep joy. He really wants you to be full of joy. And he knows full well that when we spend our energy pursuing stuff that is not him it will lead to misery it will lead to harm being done to us it will crush us when we try and make life about something that is not him it will ultimately crush us it will not bring us joy it will bring us misery and maybe you've even found that in your life as you've pursued other things whether it's a career or a relationship or pleasures of this world it actually crushes us it doesn't bring us the true joy when we make those things the center So how can we be free from the love of money? How can we be free from serving mammon, as it were, as Jesus would put it? Well, one preacher says, be killing sin or sin be killing you. What he means by that is that we need to ruthlessly kill off the idol of mammon, wherever it might rear its ugly head in our lives. I wonder if you find yourself obsessing about getting more and more stuff. I wonder if you find yourself fantasizing about just having that bit more whether that's experiences or possessions or a better home. I don't know what it might be that you just find yourself fixated on. 
give some money away. <laughs> Each time we give money away, we, we thrust a sword into the ugly idol of mammon in our lives. We thrust it in. It's not going to be easy at first, but it will bring us joy as we give money away. If you're obsessed about being praised for your good looks, if you like it when the guys or the girls kind of give you a second look when you walk down the street, if you like it when people compliment you or people click like on your Instagram posts, if you're obsessed about that and you know that's an idol in your life, well, turn up looking ugly regularly. Don't put the makeup on. Look a bit dumpy. Put a, put a dagger into the idol of people praising you for your good looks. This is what it looks like to be killing sin or it be killing you. Because it will crush you. If you make your life about something else, it will crush you. Put to death that idol. Jesus doesn't call each and every disciple to liquidate their possessions, give away all their money and, and live homeless. But Jesus knows that money can become a God. And he knows that if he is not Lord over our money and possessions, then he's not Lord at all. Maybe there's action for you to take today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing you conviction on this. Take some steps. Be decisive today. Start giving to your church. If you're part of Hope Church, start giving to Hope Church. If you're part of another church and you're just engaging with our online stuff in this season, start giving to your local church. Ring up your, your pastor or ring up your, the, the finance administrator of your church. Say, how can I get giving? How can I set up a standing order? How can I gift aid my giving? Get giving. Start giving it away. Sarah and I, we do this. We believe in the church. We really believe that the church is God's plan A for reaching the nations with the good news of Jesus. We believe it's God's plan A for making disciples, for building up men and women to be great followers of Jesus. And so we give. We tithe our money to this church. We give 10% of our income as a floor, and then we, we seek to give more on top of that. And we seek to keep, we keep reviewing that and saying, how much more can we give? This is what we do because we believe in investing in this. And as we do this, every time we do this, we're plunging a sword into the God of mammon. We're saying we're not going to be ruled by possessions. We're not going to make our lives all about these things. Give some money away. Bless someone today. Maybe you want to ring someone up and say, I want to buy something for you. I want to buy a meal for you or something. Bless someone. Give money away and pay a bill for someone. Or just decide mammon will not have a place in my life. I will not pursue money and possessions over all other things. I will serve God. My life will be about him first and foremost. I will center it on him. And fourthly and finally, Jesus directs us to invest with eternity in mind. And he shares another parable at the end of this chapter. It's a troubling parable. It's a really very troubling parable. It's about a rich man and a man called Lazarus. And this is not the same Lazarus that is a good friend of Jesus. It's not the guy that Jesus raises from the dead. It's a fictional guy in this parable. And in the parable, there's a rich man and Lazarus parks outside his house. He's a poor beggar. And he asks this rich man for money every day. And the rich man ignores him. And both the rich man and Lazarus die. The rich man goes to hell and Lazarus goes to be by Abraham's side, which is another word for heaven. And while in hell, the rich man asks Abraham for some relief, and he is declined in the same way that he did nothing to help Lazarus. He also asks Abraham if he can go and warn his brothers and say, turn around, can I go back and warn my brothers that they shouldn't be living life for these things? And Abraham says, well, there's enough of a warning in the prophets. There's people out there speaking the truth. They can hear it if they have ears to hear and it's a very tough parable. This is a, a tough gig today, preaching Luke 16 with two troubling parables. It's a tough gig, but I, I wouldn't be loving you well if I airbrushed these things. 
I wouldn't be loving you well if I just kind of brushed over them and just said, oh, it's all metaphorical. No, heaven and hell are real. There is an eternal reality. We are, as humans, we are physical body and we have spiritual souls. And when we die, our bodies will be buried in the ground and will cease to, they will cease to be uh, full of life. But our souls will go on. And the Bible makes it very clear that those who have trusted in Jesus, who have thrown themselves upon him, who have placed their faith in him, believed in his name, they will go to be with him for eternity. But for those who have rejected him and who have rejected his kingship, they will go to hell for eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. I wouldn't be loving you well, friends, if I airbrushed this, if I said, we don't really believe this here. No, we do, because the Bible clearly teaches it. This is what Jesus teaches here and elsewhere. It's, it's clearly the teaching of the Bible. And this book is full of repeated exhortations to live with that eternal reality in our minds. Mm. To live with it in our minds. To not just look upon the 60, 70, 80 years we might have on this planet, but to actually live with an eternal reality in our perspective. To live for a heavenly reward. To live for a heavenly well done. One of the most seductive things when it comes to money and possessions is the earthly well done we might have. Maybe, you know, money has enabled you to, to buy some good stuff. Well, we, we kind of like the earthly well done, don't we? Oh, yeah, it is a great house, isn't it? We've done well. We've owned well. It is a great car. Or, yeah, I have been able to go on some great holidays. They are lovely pictures, aren't they? And the, the earthly well done can be very seductive for us. That can be one of the things that can make us run headlong after these things. We're to live with the heavenly well done in mind, where Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful servant. We're to live with these things in our minds, to invest with these things in our mind, and to treat money and possessions as exactly what they are. They're temporary. They're not eternal. We cannot take them with us. They're gifts to be stewarded for the glory of God. They're gifts to be stewarded for the advance of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we note in this passage that Jesus is teaching these things particularly to the Pharisees, who we see were lovers of money. We know from elsewhere that they're lovers of the praise of men. Their mind is on earthly things. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Have your minds on heavenly things. Maybe you're watching today, and maybe you know that your mind has been on earthly things. Maybe you're new to church. Somehow you've come across this um, broadcast and you're just thinking yeah this is what my life's about my life is on my my mind and my life is centered on earthly things maybe you've never really even given a second thought to god until now listen if you if you haven't trusted in jesus to be your savior if you haven't thrown yourself upon him if you haven't said lord i need you as we sung earlier on you can do that now it's not too late there's a moment now you can do that This is the the day of salvation. You can give your life to Jesus. You can turn around. It says in Romans 10 and verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is talking of an, an inward belief in what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection and an outward confession. You you cannot earn your way to salvation. Just before this parable, Jesus is talking about the law and he said, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. He's saying, God's not lowering his standards. God's not just saying, hey, all that stuff I said back then, just forget about it. I was was in a bad place. 
I was having a bad moment. I'm just going to lower it all. It's just over. No, he's not dropping the law. The law is not going anywhere and only a perfect, spotless life can be free from God's just judgment. And since we could not live this life, since we could not live this perfectly spotless life, he sent his son Jesus into the world to live that life, to live that perfect, spotless life, a life devoid of impure motives, a life with only pure motives and pure ambition, with no kind of hidden wrong intention behind things, with no frustrated thoughts, no lust, no greed, no dishonest gain. He fully fulfilled the law where we could not. He fully did it. And he died in our place. And he took upon him the judgment that should have been ours. He took upon himself the judgment that was rightly ours because of the many wrong things we've done and said and thought, the many times we've sought dishonest gain, the many times we've been poor stewards of our finances, the many times that we've kind of sought after other things instead of God. And now through faith, through believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, through faith, we get the reward that he deserved for his right living. We get the righteousness of God given to us. We get perfect standing before God. We get adopted into the family of God forever. And we're going to pray in a moment. We're going to praise God for that amazing salvation. We're going to thank him once again. We're going to commit our lives again to him. But I want to, I want to finish with just a few questions that will just maybe get us thinking. And I'm going to give a moment for us to think through these things. First question is, do you worship your money or do you worship God with your money? Do you have tabs on the idol-making factory that is the human heart? Do you know what's going on in there? Have you taken time to have a look? Have you reflected, are there things that I'm running after, that I've made an idol? What things might you be hankering after? Is it a desire for fame or beauty, luxury living, comfort? Is it a desire just to have a feeling of superiority? Just think on those things. Is there something deep down that you, don't, you know, I've just allowed to become something of an idol? Question three, do you know that deep down God is committed to your joy? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he wants you to be full of joy? Do you know that it's not via the path that the world would lay out for you? What do you need to resolve before God today when it comes to these things? Maybe it's that you know I need to start by looking at my account, seeing what's going in and out. I can't hide away from it forever. I need to see where my priorities are. I need to see where my money's been going. Maybe you need to start giving today. Maybe that's a step today. I'm going to set up a standing order. I'm going to start giving to my church. I'm going to show some generosity to someone in my street or someone in the church. Maybe it's to go on the Cap Money course, which is starting in just a few weeks' time. We're running this Cap Money course, which will give you all the skills you need to really steward these finances well. You don't have to be uh, in debt to benefit from that course, you will benefit from it, whatever your financial situation. Just because you have perhaps lots of money doesn't mean you're a good steward. This will help you. Maybe you'd like to sign up for that course. Maybe you need to confront some things today. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to hand over 
to Kirsten, who will bring things to a close. Heavenly Father, we do want to take these truths to our heart today. We want to take truths to our hearts. We want, to, we want you to change us through these truths. We, want, we don't want to just kind of come away from today thinking, well, that was a bit awkward. That was a tough passage. Lord, we want to have eternity in our minds. We want to see, Lord Jesus, that it's all yours and we get to steward it. And we get to ask, how would you want us to invest this money? It's all yours, Lord. I pray that you would do work in our hearts. I pray that we would come to real joy as we start to put things in place, as we start to uh, live life when it comes to money and finances the way that you would want us to live it. I pray that we would know true joy as we take these truths to our hearts. And I pray, Father, for anyone watching this morning that doesn't yet know you, I pray, Lord God, that they would come to know you today, that there would be salvation today. Lord, as people throw themselves upon you and say, I believe, I trust in you. Jesus, you fulfilled the law where I couldn't. You lived up. You matched up where I couldn't. And I I take your perfect record and I give you my sin. Lord, let it be that we see salvation today. In Jesus' name.